The Recipes for Life podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being, as well as expanded consciousness. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed their health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. Annie Hopper knows the challenges and hardship involved with limbic system dysfunction. She had personally suffered from severe multiple chemical sensitivity, fibromyalgia and electric hypersensitivity syndrome. Hopper went on to creatively rewire the neural circuits in her brain that had been altered due to toxic trauma and the symptoms of illness eventually dissipated. In 2008, Annie Hopper founded the Dynamic Neural Retraining System, a drug-free neuroplasticity-based approach to rewire chronic illness disease patterns in the brain. To find out more about Annie Hopper, please visit retrainingthebrain.com and please check out her latest book, Wired for Healing. Annie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic, Pete, and thank you for inviting me on your program. I'm excited to talk to you. This is very exciting for me too because this is something right up my alley, which is about brain training and brain enhancement and understanding how our brains work, especially when it revolves around, I guess, our past history and and how we can change that into, I guess, a dynamic force moving forward. So I'd love for you to just be able to define what it is that you do and, and and the name of the program that you've created. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm a limbic system retraining specialist. So I work on helping people to rewire the limbic system in the brain. And we'll talk more about that, what, what that is in a second. And the name of the company that I've developed or the name of the program is the Dynamic Neural Retraining System. And you can find us at retrainingthebrain.com. And how did you come up with this program? Not everybody that enters the world of health and helping other people have had a traumatic injury in their past or illness in their past, but a lot of people do. And I I believe you've got a story to go with that yourself. 
Yeah, I've got quite a story to go with that, Pete. Yeah, like a lot of people that end up in the healthcare field, I was a patient at one time. And what happened is I started to develop symptoms of chronic pain and insomnia and anxiety and uh, an increasing list of sensitivities. I started to get sensitive to common everyday products that we have in our everyday living, like perfumes, colognes, cleaning products, that kind of thing. And I also developed what is known as electric hypersensitivity syndrome. So if we look at the classifications of those illnesses, basically I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, with multiple chemical sensitivities, and electric hypersensitivity syndrome. Now, I didn't actually know what any one of those conditions were uh, in the beginning. I just knew that I was getting sick a lot. And what I noticed specifically when I started to develop chemical sensitivities is that my sense of smell really started to change. And things that didn't bother me before really took on this interesting, toxic type of smell. And I literally felt like I was being poisoned by my environment. And looking back, I I can almost tell where that, that trauma started. And when we look at this in terms of limbic system impairment, you know, the, the limbic system is really the feeling and reacting brain. And it's filtering all of the sensory information that is coming at you in any given time and creating an, an appropriate emotional and physical response to that information that's coming in. And what it does is it filters this information into two very distinct categories, either safe or unsafe. And you can imagine that if any of the neural networks in the brain are damaged because of some kind of chemical, viral, bacterial trauma, whatever that trauma might be, that the brain starts to filter the information inaccurately and things that would have been deemed safe in the past or have been categorized now as unsafe. So that's kind of how uh, I can explain the limbic system and, and how it functions. Now, what that meant for me is that I was increasingly becoming sensitive. And if I go back to trauma for a second, you know, I, I grew up in a household with an alcoholic father. So that probably primed my system to be a little bit on more on higher alert than most people. Although Mm -hmm. that's not the absolute case for everybody that develops these classes of illnesses. But also I was working, my office was located right next door to the janitor supply room where I had a counseling practice in Kelowna, Canada. And with uh, my office located to the janitor supply room, I was also being exposed to really heavy industrial cleaners all the time. And I didn't have proper ventilation in my office. The office also had mold in it. Uh, About six months prior to going to that office, I had a been in a car accident where I suffered from cervical whiplash as well. So I think it was a combination of all of that physical trauma, like the chemical exposure, probably emotional trauma from the past, and just, you know, those really big hits of mold and toxic chemicals all at once that really pushed my limbic system into this impairment where I was no longer able to filter information uh, that was coming in through my brain in an appropriate fashion. And that was causing a lot of illness from chronic pain to sensitivity issues to 
depression, anxiety, a whole a whole host of symptoms. So I'll just add at the at the worst point, you know, at the bottom of the barrel of the story, I ended up homeless, and not because I didn't have any money, but because my body and my brain were reacting to such small amounts of stimuli as if they were life threatening and sending those corresponding messages through the nervous system to all the systems of my body that I had to yeah, leave my home. And I was camping for a while. And then I lived on a broken down houseboat. And yeah, so that that's kind of the, the backstory. It's interesting, because more and more people seem to be suffering this, especially this electromagnetic sensitivity these days. Can you talk to us a little bit about that before we get into the nitty gritty of, of what it is that you've created and what you do and why that seems to be happening to people these days? That's a really good question. I think that EMF fields in themselves are not particularly dangerous unless you have that at really high high levels. And I think that we've created environments where we're exposed to extreme levels of EMF without even knowing it. So some common things that people do that aren't healthy are using your cell phone as an alarm clock and having it by your head all night long or under your pillow and having a wireless uh, router in your bedroom. So what I'd like to suggest to people is to really make their sleeping quarters in EMF safe zone, meaning don't have any of your electronics or anything in your bedroom so that you can at least create that peaceful resting place. So I think that we've been hooked up, like we're just constantly hooked into information. We're on the computer, we're on our cell phones, we don't recognize the EMF that's uh, surrounding us at all times. Now, I think that there are some pretty common everyday habits that we can do that are corrective measures, or at least will decrease the load on EMF exposure. But you know, we have to—we just have to create awareness around that and live in a common sense kind of way around that knowledge. Like, what do you do with that knowledge? So, on our website, we have a spot on our website. It's how to create a healthy and healing living environment. And a lot of the resources on that page are actually from a group called Environmental Working Group. So it's ewg.org. And they can give you all kinds of information about not only about EMFs and your environment and how to create a healthy environment, but also about how to use more natural products in your home so that you're not being inundated by these toxic stressors or everyday type of toxins that might be in your environment that you actually don't know or could be affecting your health. So not only EMFs, but also the products that you use, your personal hygiene products, your cleaning products, your laundry products, your shampoos, conditioners, and all that kind of stuff. Mm, I love it. I wrote a book recently called Heal, Healthy Eating and Living. And in that, I wrote about a hundred different things in which we can identify and be aware of in our everyday lives. And obviously, I've, I've written about 20 cookbooks over the years. So, I've, <laughs> I've, I've explored nutrition in, in our films, The Magic Pill and The Paleo Way. And I wanted to share this other information that's out there with the pillars of health, such as creating a safe sleeping environment. As you said, no phones, no electricity going on in your room if you can, pulling your bed away from the wall if you do have electricity running behind your headboard. That's the first time I've ever heard anybody say that somebody would sleep with a phone under their pillow. And that to me is just, I cringed when you said that because I've never heard of, do people actually do that? Oh, yeah, they do. And what else they do is they always, they put their phone in their back pocket or the front pocket. Mm -mm. Right? So a lot of men carry their cell phones in their front pocket. They have no idea 
what that's doing to their body. Or a lot of other people wear them in their back pockets or women even tuck them in their bras. Uh, Uh, (laughs) I I actually saw a a friend of mine the other day that I just got introduced to and he was carrying his phone in his chest pocket, which was on top of his heart. And the first thing I said to him, I said, hey, mate, just, you know, no disrespect to you, but that's probably not a good place to keep your phone. <laughs> yeah. And I know they're actually manufacturing coats now where they actually have the pocket for your cell phone inside the coat at your chest level, like right, right around your heart. So yeah, it's, it's for me. Yeah. That, that just totally doesn't make any sense. And even my daughters, they're in high school now and those earpods or AirPods that Everybody seems to be wearing these these little white earplugs for their iPhone. And I said to the girls, I said, whatever you do, please do not never put something like that into your ear canal that has that frequency coming in because it's right inside your, your skull. And my daughter said, everybody at school wears them. <laughs> and again, going back to the chemical assault that you talked about, I, I feel that every time I go in Australia when I travel through on international air flights, we have to go through our international customs, but then we get this smorgasbord of what was called duty-free. And, <laughs> and seriously, I hold my breath and I walk through there as quickly as I can. It usually takes about 40 seconds, 45 seconds, because it's huge, because there's a must be 200 different perfumes and colognes and just these these intense toxic, and I I can only call them poisons, that are just wafting through that area. And I've said to my daughters as well, just be very careful with perfumes because most are a toxic overload for our system and they disrupt our hormones. Can you touch on that as well before we again get into the nitty gritty? Because I've never talked about this on a podcast before and I feel like you'd be a great person to talk to about this. Well, I'm not sure if that I can give you the chemical breakdown except for, you know, we know that they're endocrine disruptors and they mimic estrogen as well. A lot of products can mimic estrogen, which really causes a hormonal imbalance in the body. But, you know, what I can talk about is my own experience with that. And I think that I'll just go there. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to be the kind of girl that loved wearing perfume. Loved it. Loved my scented bubble baths, loved it, didn't think twice about it. And it wasn't until I started to develop symptoms of multiple chemical sensitivity that I started to really look at what the ingredients were that were in the products that I was using, because I was obviously having this really extreme reaction. And when I talk about an extreme reaction, I mean going into convulsions. If someone was doing their laundry and I happened to be walking by uh, on the street and I happened to walk through the laundry exhaust, I would actually go into central nervous system convulsions. So it made it really difficult for me to navigate my world. Like, you know, I was terrified of walking by with somebody with perfume. If somebody had, even with laundry products, like really heavy duty laundry products and fabric softeners that are filled with all of these really you know, awful chemicals, I would literally lose my voice. I might be in bed for days. So it was really impossible to navigate my environment. So what that led to was a lot of isolation because I could not be in public anymore. It was too much of a health risk to actually be in public. But what I also discovered in that was that, you know, on one level, Reading the ingredients on the products really justified for me how sick I was getting. And I thought, wow, maybe that's my purpose in life is to actually 
increase awareness of all the toxins and all of these products so that I can prevent one other person from getting sick. I mean, I thought if I could prevent just one person from going down the path that I was going on, then that would be enough. I would have served my life calling. Hmm. But then I recognized that for me, you know, it really didn't make sense. On, on another hand, it didn't make sense that my brain and my body were reacting so severely to something that didn't affect most people. And by that, uh, you know, I mean, how could somebody else go to the grocery store and go through the laundry detergent aisle and be perfectly okay? But for me, my brain was not okay with that. If I went down the laundry detergent aisle, then again, it might end up in migraine headaches for days or convulsions, absolutely losing my voice. The smell was didn't even smell like laundry products. It was like some kind of toxic, just this, I can't even describe it more than just feeling like I was being poisoned, literally poisoned. And I could even taste the laundry detergent. And I remember going to my doctor one time. And at that point, I was wearing a mask because I couldn't go anywhere without wearing a mask. And I said to him, you know, doctor, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I can taste your underarm deodorant from across the room. And it tastes like a toxic poison to me. So it also made sense to me that my brain wasn't filtering information properly. And that's where I decided to focus eventually, but not until I had exhausted every doctor that I could possibly go to, every mainstream medical doctor, alternative medical doctor, every kind of treatment that you can think of from shamans to spiritual healing to all of it. And then I thought, you know what, what if this is a brain injury? What if my brain was somehow injured or traumatized through this chemical exposure. And because of that, and the mold exposure, and maybe the car accident, and maybe the emotional stress from childhood, what if my brain is stuck in a fight, fright, or freeze response? And all of the symptoms that I am experiencing are the result of that faulty brain mechanism. And although my reaction to the chemical assault initially was a healthy response, what if my brain didn't know that the trauma was no longer present? So it was almost kind of like a sensory PTSD kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I thought, what if my brain is just stuck in this response and unconsciously stuck in this response and I just don't know how to get out of it? And that kind of led me to researching brain function and neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is a word that is becoming more and more popular these days. And I would love for you to actually explain what neuroplasticity means. Sure. So neuroplasticity simply means that the brain is capable of change. And the brain is changing all the time. And there's the good side and the bad side of neuroplasticity. You know, the good side is, uh, yes, where the brain is, always has its capacity to change. So it's not like we've been born with a certain amount of neurons and that that can never change or that the brain is hardwired. We used to think that it was for a long time. But, you know, over the last 20 years, we've recognized that the brain is not hardwired, that we can change the brain. And not only that we can change the brain, but we can self-direct changes in the brain, which is really, I mean, nothing short of miraculous and very cool. So the bad side of neuroplasticity is that we know that the brain changes through trauma. And trauma can actually structurally and functionally 
change the brain in a way that causes chronic illness. And that's what we're looking at with the program that I've developed. We look at limbic system function, this feeling and reacting part of the brain, and how it affects the stress response and how that can cause a downstream effect on a lot of systems of the body. And the way that I describe this is if you have a brain that's stuck in a fight, fright, or freeze response, it's kind of like you're always being chased by a tiger, even though you're actually in a place of safety. And the brain doesn't know that the tiger is no longer there. So when you're being chased by a tiger, it really starts to affect a lot of your systems in your body, like communication. You know, if you're being chased by a tiger, you are not texting your friends or calling your mom to say, hey, I'm being chased by a tiger. You are absolutely just running for your life. So, you know, it starts to affect a lot of communication, the cells of the body. It affects your digestive system and your ability to absorb nutrients and your ability to rest and digest because those are just not important when you're running for your life. It also starts to affect your detoxification processes. It affects your immune system, your ability to fight disease, your endocrine system or your hormones and your adrenal glands and your autonomic nervous system, which controls things like your heart rate and your blood pressure. And we can get stuck in this fight, flight, or freeze response. And I want to talk to the freeze response for a second because we know what it's like. Most people can relate to, oh yeah, I can totally tell that my brain is stuck in this fight or flight response. And what that feels like is, you know, repeating thought patterns about trauma, either past trauma or predicting future trauma. The emotional state around that will be worry, fear, anxiety, catastrophizing, just, you know, all of these kind of negative emotions that keep swirling. And, you know, when you look at the freeze response, that's a really interesting one because that's when your mitochondria are no longer working functionally. And this is based on the work of Dr. Robert Navio, who wrote a paper called The Cell Danger Response. And basically what happens, and the way that I can describe this is if, let's say, a cheetah was chasing a gazelle, and the The cheetah's chasing the gazelle, and the gazelle's running for its life, and then all of a sudden the cheetah catches up to it. Well, the gazelle knows, oh my goodness, I can't run anymore. What are my options? I'm going to play dead. So it goes from being in a flight or flight response to a freeze response. Now, it'll stay in the freeze response, and if the cheetah goes, oh, there's nothing here for me, and the cheetah runs away or goes on its merry way, the gazelle will immediately get up and go back into flight or flight to resolve the situation or go to a safe place. Now, as human beings, we have that capacity to go into flight or flight or freeze depending on the level of danger that we perceive at that point in time. So when we, as human beings, when we go into the freeze response, what happens is mitochondria in our cells that are responsible for producing energy, they go into producing energy for defense instead of regeneration. And that causes, we see that a lot with things like chronic fatigue syndrome, where, you know, we just don't have any energy. We feel like, you know, we can't possibly do anything and we're conserving the amounts of energy that we have. So people that have chronic fatigue syndrome are always gauging the amount of energy they have and looking at what they need to do in a day. So maybe they have enough energy to have a shower 
but that's it. That means that they're going to have a shower and they don't do anything else for the rest of the day. So they're always kind of, yeah, they're looking at conserving energy as much as possible. And that's not something that's in the head. That's a physiological response that they're dealing with that is, I believe, rooted in toxic exposure and how that changes brain function, how that changes everything down to the actual ways that our, our cells work in the body. Does that make sense? It does. Mm-hmm. So where do we go from, from here? So we have the fight, flight, or freeze response, which we have a choice when we have these emotional traumas or some sort of stimuli that causes us some sort of distress which can be on a daily basis or moment-by-moment basis, depending on what we're doing and who we're with. So once we have these programs hardwired into us, which you're saying we can actually rewire our response and a way out of these situations or out of this learned pattern behavior, if, if that's the correct terminology, how do we go about creating this neuroplasticity and creating change? What are the first steps? Yeah, well, thank you. First of all, yeah, before we get there, I just want to talk about, about that learned behavior. I think it's a learned unconscious behavior. Your brain's just stuck in this unconscious fight, fight or freeze response. So the first step is to actually create awareness to recognize that the brain is involved in the illness. So, and that's a big jump for people. It's like, what? What do you mean? Uh, you know, I've been to see... For many of our clients, they've been to see, you know, 35, 40 specialists. They've done every detox program in the world. They are really healthy. They're living clean. You know, they're just really, for the most part, if you looked at their track record of how they're living their life, they live very clean lives, and yet they're still sick. So what happens is, you know, the first step is to actually realize that the brain is involved. And I, I think that I'll go into an acronym that I've actually created called IMAGINE, which is really talking about the concepts and what needs to be taken in, into mind when we're talking about limbic system rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. So the first one is intention. So really understanding that your intention in undergoing limbic system rehabilitation isn't necessarily to decrease symptoms right away. Your intention is to focus on putting your energy into this limbic system rehabilitation program. And when you build new, stronger neural circuits in the limbic system and in the brain, that's when the symptoms will start to decrease in their own time. But we always have to keep in mind, okay, hang on a second. I need to look at that brain piece. And you know, I'm going to focus my energy on our really rewiring the brain at this moment in time. And we need to really learn to step into a place called the curious observer. But before I go into that, let's go to M for motivation. Mm-hmm. So motivation, it really talks to the fact that the person has to have the willingness and motivation to become an active participant in their healing process. You know, I'm not sure what it's like in Australia, but certainly in Canada and the US, the medical system is largely placed the patient in a passive role where they depend on others and outside interventions to help them. But this is really a self-directed healing process in which it takes a minimum of six months of a daily practice to strengthen those alternative neural networks in the brain. So again, it takes a lot of motivation. Mm-hmm. If we look at A, which is the next letter, it stands for awareness and association. So because the brain is in this unconscious pattern, fight, fight, or freeze response or illness response, we need to become aware of what those unconscious patterns are and how that's affecting us. 
through our psychological processes. So what are, how our thoughts might be affected by this state in the brain, how our emotions can be affected by the state of the brain, how our behaviors reflect the state in the brain, and also how our body is responding to being stuck in a, an unconscious fight, fight or freeze response. So we look at patterns in the brain. And when those patterns are recognized, we recognize those patterns. And then we immediately try to redirect brain function in that moment in time. Mm -hmm. So in order to change the brain's unconscious association, we need to really start actually changing the associations that we have with things too. So, and strictly for the purpose of rewiring the brain, we do this. So for example, you know, when I was really sensitive to perfumes, you know, in my mind, I created the associations of perfume equal poison. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, while that was true, and that we have lots of evidence to support that there is so much unhealthy stuff in, in perfume and we don't want to wear it and we don't want to have it in our house and et cetera, et cetera. For the process of rewiring my brain, I had to say, hang on a second. Every time I think that thought, what happens is I immediately go to fear. And when I go to fear, it actually stimulates the pathological networks in my brain that are actually at play in limbic system impairment. So it's going to be my job for the next six months to not go to fear. Mm -hmm. So how do I do that? Well, maybe I could change my associations with that. I can still live a consciously aware life. I can still live an environmentally aware life. But maybe when I think of that, I can start to think of other things like, hmm, all right, perfume. What does it remind me of? Maybe I can have an association with my loving grandmother because I know that she wore perfume and I loved her dearly. So I change the association in my brain, not because... It's environmentally aware, but just so that my brain doesn't go into this automatic, unconscious fear response that's actually keeping the brain stuck in that fight, flight, or freeze response. So that might be one way of changing associations. And again, it doesn't mean that I have to expose myself to perfumes or wear perfume in any way, shape, or form, but that I need to change my brain's association with that. Mm -hmm. So G stands for gains. So it's really important during the rehabilitation process that we focus on our gains. And that means the small victories that you have that will eventually form the fabric of your recovery. And there's a specific reason for that. Because as human beings, we innately have this negativity bias, which means that we're going to notice what's going wrong before we notice what's going well. And this comes from caveman days and, you know, it's a self-protective mechanism. It all makes sense. However, when you have limbic system impairment and the threat mechanisms in your brain are firing just at random, and you've got this rogue mechanism firing all the time, it magnifies a negativity bias. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine that if this negativity bias is magnified, that you're just going to be noticing everything around you that could be a potential threat and what might go wrong or what could go wrong. So we really want to focus on our gains that we're making, the small changes that are happening through the recovery process, but also looking at, you know, moving to gratitude as much as we can to create that neural substrate for gratitude in the brain. Mm. You know, our thoughts, feelings, emotions, behaviors actually have a footprint on our brain. So we want to make sure that those pathways are becoming really well-worn and become the new pathways for our brain. I imagine stands for incremental training, and that's a form of neural shaping that strengthens new neural pathways while desensitizing old neural pathways. And this might involve 
slightly triggering a reaction that creates a heightened neuroplastic state in the brain. And that's the easiest time for the brain to make changes is when you're actually in that heightened state. For some people, it might mean small exposure therapies and not to levels that would be considered unhealthy or dangerous, but very small exposures to stimuli that would normally trigger this limbic response. And then really changing your neurological state during that moment in time. If we look at N, it stands for neurological and emotional rehearsal. And that's a form of visualization that chemically blocks the threat mechanism in the brain to create a healthy emotional set point. And what happens is we move the neurochemistry associated with the stress response, which is cortisol, adrenaline, and norepinephrine, to a neurochemistry of dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins, or what we call dose, so that we can move into that state of growth and repair in the brain. So, you know, a little saying that we have is you want to kick the can and get your daily dose. And we have a very specific visualization technique that helps you get to that state in your brain. And finally, the E in Imagine stands for environmental awareness, because we definitely don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We recognize that there are toxins in our everyday environment that may be contributing to ill health. And for some people, it will be the trigger for limbic system impairment. So, so we want to really make sure that we're living in a really healthy way. And I'm sure that you've gone to great detail to describe that to people in your book, Heal. And yeah, we just want to keep those factors in mind. So that's kind of a synopsis of the principles that we have to keep in mind with limbic system rehabilitation. I love it. There's so many parallels to so many different modalities that are out there. Over the last 25 years, I've been working with therapists that do neuroemotional technique, which is very, very similar. And over the last few years, I've, I've journeyed into the plant medicine realm of healing as well. And so much of this feels like it's nearly mirroring what happens in those ceremonials with the intention, with the motivation, with the awareness association that you can't help but escape in a journey like that. And then the gains and the incremental training, which is the, I guess, the integration period and, and seeing yourself in a feeling yourself with a new reality and then the protection and the awareness, how to carry that through. So I'm loving what you're saying here because there are so many parallels. And what I find really interesting in this healing space and having these podcasts and having these conversations is these tools are available to us and that they might just come in different packages, so to speak. You've got your training, the, the shamanic training, there's different forms of therapies that are out there. I can't help but think my wife and I went to Dave Asprey's 40 Years of Zen last year for our honeymoon present and we, we did five days or six days of intense neurofeedback training, but with a twist. It was setting intentions. It was going through this and getting into that state where you could rewire these negative belief patterns or traumas that we have. So where I want to go with you next, Annie, is... How do people find out about you? And then what is the process for them once they uh, go on this journey? Sure. Because you said it takes sure. about six months. So I know you've got a book out there and I know you've got training courses and, in, and videos, instructional videos that people can download and um, be a part of. So take us through that process, please. Yeah, sure. Well, a lot of people find out about us right now through their doctors. We probably, I would say 80% of people that attend the five-day interactive training training seminar. I've been referred 
by their physicians, which is fantastic. And I think that that speaks to the word getting out there. And I think the greatest gift that I can ever receive is when someone goes back to their doctor and says, oh, by the way, you might want to know about this treatment program that was actually the impetus for my healing. And they find out about that. And I've been speaking a lot at various different medical conferences, uh, the American Academy of Environmental Awareness, the Institute for Functional Medicine, the International Society for Environmentally Acquired Illnesses, and various organizations like that, you know, really spreading the word about how the brain is changed in a lot of chronic disease processes and how we can rewire the brain for optimal health. So that is one way that people are hearing about us. A lot, the other way that people hear about us is actually just through our website at retrainingthebrain.com. The program is delivered in two different ways. We have a five-day interactive training program. And the other way that people can access us is online. So we have a 14-hour instructional video that they can do online, or that 14-hour instructional video is still available in DVD format. As well, we have my book, which is called Wired for Healing, Remapping the Brain to Heal from Chronic and Mysterious Illnesses. And also what we have available for people after they've done the program, either the online program, the DVD, or they've attended a five-day program, what they can do is book additional resources through our certified DNRS coaches. So these are people that have, have their own healing experience through DNRS and also have been trained extensively in the program and how to help people navigate the program if they need any guidance and support. So those are the ways that we definitely uh, support people and the products that are available for people, which can, again, be found at retrainingthebrain.com. But I also wanted to speak about research. So uh, we have some research coming out from McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, where we looked at 102 participants that went through the five-day program between, I think it was 2016 and 2017. And they had varying different conditions from chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, anxiety, depression, MCS, food sensitivities, Lyme disease, uh, chronic pain, irritable bowel syndrome, a whole bunch of different diagnoses. And the results of that study are in. They followed people for a year and they did baseline surveys before people started the program and then measurements at three, six, and 12 months to measure differences in uh, symptomology. So the results of that are out and we are extremely happy with the results. What it shows is that it's not too good to be true. People often look at the website and go, wow, how could that be true? You know, it sounds like people are recovering from conditions that they've had for over 20 years. And I say, yes, you know what? It is true. We have this innate healing capacity within us. And when we know what tools to use and how to use them, it can create profound changes in the brain and the body. And this, as you said, this is one way of addressing these complex chronic illnesses. And I believe that neuroplasticity is a bridge between modern medicine. And I think it'll be really interesting to see where we're at in 10 or 20 years from now and how the brain is really being used as a foundation for health and what all these ways that we can change brain function. So if somebody is listening and they're suffering from any type of illness or, or emotional disease or disorder, and they're just depressed or they're anxious or they just can't seem to get it together, what do they do? I would say go to my website and see if the information resonates with them. 
And then second to that, I would say order my book because I think that explains the science of what we do and that may resonate to something in there. And to those people that are still suffering, I would say, oh my goodness, do not give up hope. Never give up hope. It is never too late to change. There is always an opportunity to learn something, to grow, to heal. And we can offer that our program really represents one way of doing that for people. And I've watched so many people go from being disabled by so many different chronic conditions to living full, happy and engaged lives that to me, anything is possible. And I never stop believing in miracles. And I I don't think it's a miracle by any means. It's, you know, once you understand the brain and how the brain functions and how you can get out of that fight, fright or freeze response and how that affects the rest of the body. And it makes complete sense. And that's something else that I hear all the time. This just makes sense. So I would say to those people, never give up hope keep trying and, you know, have an open mind because this could be the key to your healing and you don't know until you try. Can you talk us through what the five-day intensive, what you cover through that or the 14-hour video, what are some of the steps involved for the people that go through this process? Sure. So the five-day intensive is our gold standard. How do people do that? Is it one location in which part of the world or is it all over the world? It's all over the world, mostly in North America at this point in time. We have about five different locations that we circulate to in North America, in Canada and the US. We have done a program in Australia, not for a couple of years. Uh, We'll do a program probably in 2020 in England. But uh, yeah, generally around North America, the five-day programs. But, you know, if we can speak to the online program if you want to or we can go to the five day either one it's all the same which Mm -hmm. is first we talk about brain function and if we if we look at the in-person programs you know there are usually 30 people that show up that have varying different conditions to varying degrees we take a look at their case history before they actually come into the program and collectively it is not unusual for a group of 30 people to be suffering for like 630 years or more Mm. I look at that and I go, wow, that is just an incredible amount of suffering. But at the same time, I I think, wow, that's an incredible amount of liberation about to happen. Mm. So I I get very excited for people because I think that from my perspective, it's a missing key in, in a lot of people's health. So anyway, we have the introductions, we get to meet each other, and then we really start learning about the brain. How does the brain function? How does the limbic system function when it's healthy? What happens when the limbic system is not functioning properly and how that affects various systems of the body? We teach them how to look for unconscious disease patterns that might be perpetuating the trauma or this limbic system trauma loop, as I like to call it. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So it would be thought, emotional, and behavioral patterns that someone might have that might be actually strengthening the neural circuits that are involved with the pathology. So, you know, worry habits, thought habits around, you know, needing to scan your environment all the time, anything like that. But that's a, what, what I need to explain here is that's a byproduct of the brain being in a fight, fight, or freeze response. So mm-hmm. it's not their fault that 
they're thinking those thoughts or they're having those emotions, it's a byproduct of the brain actually being stuck in that response. So we want to bring those thoughts, feelings, and behaviors to conscious awareness so that we can start to change them. And we call those POPs or P-O-P-S, which stands for Pathways of the Past. And then in the afternoons, we basically start looking at how do we change our neurological set point? How do we go through this visualization technique where we can stop producing all of the stress hormones and start producing all of those neurochemicals that are associated with growth and repair? So basically, that's the program in a nutshell. You know, we go through the science, then we go through the practical application of what we're teaching. One thing that I'm learning on, on, on this journey of, of health and discovery is that the more and more that I go down this path is that we have everything that we need to heal ourselves in us. We just have to find the right key to access those parts of us that can help us on our journey of, of healing and that we are always whole and we're always complete and that we are the medicine and we are our own healers. And it seems to me that you're just offering the patient or the human being that's working with you and coming along to your classes, you've got the key or keys to help them unlock their own potential of healing themselves. Would, would I be correct in saying that? Absolutely. That's a very different model to what Western medicine has portrayed, I would believe, over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, there, there are some things like maybe the body needs a little bit of support with along the way, mm-hmm. you know, you can always get support and you have the tools within you to be able to rewire your brain. So, you know, I think that, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where the medical field is in about 20 years from now, or maybe 10 years from now, or maybe, maybe I should think even bigger than that and say, hey, maybe it'll be interesting to see what the medical system is like in one year from now. And maybe this information will be just common, everyday information about toxins in our environment, how they can affect the brain and body, and then what we can do to actually uh, rehabilitate the injured brain. I think I'll, that's a visualization that I'll keep. <laughs> Simple question here. Who doesn't this work for? Or who have you discovered in your experience that this just, it hasn't delivered the results that has, it has delivered for other people? And that's a really good question. You know, I think that if you're under at a really high degree of stress in your life, that it's probably not the right time to start the program. So, you know, if you're in the middle of getting a divorce or you're in a legal suit or maybe, yeah, you're in the middle of moving or something that's really a high stress environment, might not be the best time to uh, start the course. However, I have been called on that. And, you know, there are people that have to start because they just have to start. But maybe the progress might take a little bit longer, and that's okay. As long as you know that stress can be an influencing factor in your recovery process, then know that it might just take a little bit longer. People with specific kinds of mental illness, like schizophrenia or bipolar, maybe not the best, unless you're medicated, you know, and you have medications going on that are controlling that, then that would be okay. And yeah, I think that's about it. And I would say the the third thing is anybody that's not willing to actually put the work in 
because <laughs> like any form of exercise, it takes discipline. So if you really don't think that you have the discipline or you don't think that you have the motivation to actually engage in a program where you're going to have to do something about your own health, then I would say, you know, don't bother because it's really going to take your dedication, your motivation. But I can tell you the energy that it takes to rewire your brain is way less than the energy it takes to have coping mechanisms in your life. So, mm. yeah, with all the coping me- mechanisms that we have in place and all the energy that it takes to have those coping mechanisms in place, actually rewiring your brain takes a lot less energy than that with a lot greater rewards. So I hope I answered your question. You have. So let's talk about who this can benefit and what illnesses you've seen get into remission or improve or people get off medications or give me the, the whole gamut of the types of people that you've been able to offer these tools to that have had great yeah. results. You know, it's funny. In the beginning, I created the program for the illnesses that I was suffering from because I recovered from multiple chemical sensitivities and uh, fibromyalgia or chronic pain and electric hypersensitivity syndrome. But I also knew that it would work for chronic fatigue because I was doing a lot of brain research and looking at the common denominator. And the common denominator for a lot of chronic illnesses was this overfiring of protective mechanisms of the brain. I'm like, well, if that's at the root of all of this, and I can imagine that any disease process that, that involves a chronic maladapted stress response could benefit. Now, who does that mean? I don't know if there aren't a lot of diseases out there that don't involve a maladapted stress response, but definitely there are ones that we see that are a lot more common in our in our program. So if you go to the, our website, there's a, a link called Who Can Benefit? And under that, you'll see a list of different things, but I'll, I'll, I'll share the most common ones. Uh, adrenal fatigue, any kind of allergies or environmental illness, anxiety, bacterial overgrowth, something called central sensitization, which is just a, another medical term that basically means limbic system impairment, chronic fatigue, chronic inflammatory response syndrome or mold illness, chronic pain brain fog or memory issues, depression, food sensitivities, any kind of environmental illness, fibromyalgia, headaches, heavy metal toxicity. Oh my goodness, the the list just goes on Hmm. and on. Leaky gut syndrome, mast cell activation syndrome, Lyme disease, OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder, any kind of chronic pain, post-traumatic stress disorder, something called POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia sensitivity or syndrome, sorry, and any kind of sensitivities to sensory stimuli. So sensitivities to smell, to taste, to light, to sound, to touch, skin conditions, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, thyroid disorders, and vulvodynia, just to name a few. (laughs) Where where does the autism spectrum fit into this? You know, that's a really good question. We have not really treated anybody that has autism, although I can say that there are a couple people that were probably on the autistic spectrum that did attend a program. I think that My personal understanding on autism is the brain is being affected in the same way. I think that the brain is stuck in a flight, fight, or freeze response with autism, but I'm not really sure how the program would work for autism because we really need that ability to step into that curious observer and have that prefrontal cortex ability to discern 
information. So I'm not really sure how that works with the autism spectrum. Although, you know, the brain is actually stuck in the same response, I would imagine that there are various different ways that uh, you could get out of that response through autism. And I know that Dr. Norman Doidge, a Canadian psychiatrist, wrote in his book, The Brain's Way of Healing, about a new sound therapy that is really beneficial for people with autism. So that might be worth exploring for people that have autism. Mm -hmm. And cancer? Mm, no, I would not say that the program works for cancer. I think that that would be, if, if it does, great, but that would not be something that I would advertise. And from my understanding that you don't do meditation in this, I was reading the questions and answers on your website and it's not a form of meditation, is it? No, it's not. It's a visualization technique, but not a meditation technique. And, you know, actually, I'll, I'll explain a little bit how it's not like meditation. I love meditation. I think meditation is great. We know that meditation creates changes in the brain, which is really great, but it's just not the tool for limbic system impairment. So with a lot of forms of meditation, what we do is we step into that curious observer and we emotionally distance ourselves from any kind of thoughts, emotions, or impulses that might come up. With limbic system impairment, it's a little bit different because we're getting actively involved in directing the brain. So when we have a thought that comes up that we think is related to this rogue threat mechanism that's happening in limbic system impairment, then we go, oh, hang on a second. I know what that is. I'm immediately going to step in and redirect brain function in the moment. So it's more active in the application of mindfulness in, in that regard. So we're not just being curious observers. We're being curious observers and then taking action. So mm. we're really actively directing the brain in a very specific way or directing emotions in a very specific way. You know, I think that it's interesting when you think about the emotional component too, because I used to think that every emotion I had was the conveyor of truth somehow, or every feeling that I was having in my body was a conveyor of truth, or every pain that I had was a conveyor of truth, or every thought that I had was a conveyor of truth. And what with limbic system impairment, we really have to look at that in a different way and say, hey, hang on a second. If the conductor is impaired, then it could mean that I'm having thought processes that are actually related to the impairment, that the emotional responses that I'm having are related to the impairment, that the behaviors that are coming up are related to the impairment. So it's not necessary to actually dig into the emotion anymore. You know, coming from a counseling background, I thought, well, if I'm feeling this fear, there must be a reason. I must have to dig into this to get deeper and find out more about myself in the process. And that's actually not advisable when you have limbic system impairment and actually isn't needed in order to rewire the brain. And that's the really great thing that I love about our program too, is that it doesn't go into trauma at all. And I actually love that. I think it's so freeing in so many ways because you don't have to know how, how the brain was changed. You don't have to dig into the trauma from the past. You just have to look at what the brain is doing now and how to move it forward. Mm. And I really love, personally, I just really love that focus. I love it because it, the one word that keeps coming through is empowerment. Mm -hmm. It is all about that self-empowerment for, for you to take control of your own life and be that conductor, <laughs> the empowered conductor. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so we've talked about who this can work for and, and I'm fascinated to know for listeners out there that are healthy, that their conductor is taking them on this beautiful ride of life. So Annie, you've been through this whole process, you've created this wonderful healing modality that empowers 
the individual. So where are you at now in your stage of your healing journey? Does it then become a maintenance program, a management program, something that you do once a week, or are you just constantly tweaking when you feel these emotions come up? So how does it work past the six-month mark or the year mark once you've uh, put your diseases into remission or whatever it may be? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. So I think that it can be used as a maintenance tool just because anytime that you're focusing on elevating your emotional state, changing your neurochemistry, focusing on gratitude, focusing on the positives in your life is only ever a good thing. It just happens to be that the tools that we use for the program actually change the mechanism of the brain that's at the root of a lot of chronic illnesses. So that's the benefit. But on an ongoing basis, like afterwards, I think it's just, a, it becomes a way of life. It's not that I practice on a continuous basis anymore. In fact, I don't. And I have maintained, you know, I don't have any symptoms of illness anymore. I can go anywhere I want to, anytime I want. I can be around people. I can do things. You know, I just live a full, healthy, and engaged life. But I certainly catch any kind of thought patterns that would lead to despair. Like, I just recognize that it's really not worth it. It's not worth it to really expend my energy or my attention on something that isn't productive anymore. So I recognize that for myself. It doesn't mean that I'm in denial about my emotions. I'm just like, hey, yeah, if I have something to be upset about or if there's something upsetting going on in my life, it's not like I deny that or I don't recognize that. I recognize that, but I also know that I'm human and things happen and it's not forever and this too shall pass and it just becomes a regular way of life. And yeah, so I don't think that people need to practice on a, ma- a maintenance level. They could choose to do that. Many people do choose to do that because it's a lot of fun, but they don't need to. And I think that that's the, the great thing is it's not something that you need to do for the rest of your life. You can change the function structure of your brain so that you have those tools for life. If you ever do feel like you're in a stressful situation or something is happening, you can pull out those tools at any moment, but it's not something that you have to do forever. Mm, so I don't need to hold my breath when I go through the duty free. <laughs> no, actually, you don't. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's funny that you should mention that because I was just in uh, where was I recently? I was in Europe in the summertime, and we were going through the London duty free, which is exactly what you described, right? It's just this like wall of perfume as soon as you walk through it, and before. I would be like you. I'd have to hold my breath. I'd have to try to get out of there as soon as possible. Now, you know, not that I find it like, wow, you know, I want to go buy some perfume, but it's just a non-event for me. I'm like, okay, I'm in the duty-free department. It's just, it, it just doesn't even register anymore. And I don't stop there and hang out there. I'm not interested in buying perfumes, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't paralyze me or make me hold my breath, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm going to get your book and I'm going to do the uh, five-day course. And, and again, so can everybody benefit from this? I guess that's what I was asking before. If, if somebody's listening and they're at the top of their game or what they think is at the top of the game, is there still room for improvement that this can benefit somebody? I think that there's always room for improvement, but that's not our target market. You know, really, we're looking at helping people that are struggling, that have these chronic and mysterious illnesses that have been going on for quite some time, and they've really exhausted 
so many different options. And I always hear, you know, you're my last hope. Hmm. You're my last resort. Well, I don't want to be your last resort. I want you to come to us first, right? So uh, let's get them retraining their brain before they go through that, you know, 630 years of combined suffering, right? So I would like to be the first resort. Can it help healthy people? Absolutely. You know, I know a woman who took the program years ago and she said, you know what? I told my son about this. He was in university and he wanted to improve his golf game. So he did the program, his golf game improved. I'm like, fantastic. Hmm. You know, or uh, someone I know, her son is uh, studying to become an opera singer. And so he uses it before he performs. So he uses a program to just enhance his performance. So Mm. I think that it could absolutely help healthy people. There's no doubt about that. And uh, certainly for people that have these chronic and mysterious illnesses, it can absolutely be the key to unlocking healing for a number of people. Beautiful. Annie, I just want to say that I love you. Thank you so much for your time today and for creating what you've created and for being on this healing journey with all of us. So thank you so much. Thank you, Pete. I can't (laughs) wait to get stuck in and I'm excited. (laughs) Well, thank you, Pete, for inviting me to join you on your show. It's really been an honor to speak to you and thank you so much. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical, or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast podcast.